Well, you picked a a great Sunday to join us today because we're launching into a brand new series this morning that we're simply calling In, I-N. And uh, our desire here is we want you all to be in. We just want everybody to be in. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks or so is uh, we're just going to kind of explore four ideas that center around this idea of being in. The first idea that we're going to be looking at is the idea that each of us have been invited. We've all been invited. No one's excluded from God's invitation to be a part of his family. In fact, the truth is, in the end, the only ones who are left out are the ones who chose to ignore the invitation that God has issued. But everybody's invited. Uh, Secondly, we're going to look at how we're all invaluable, that you are invaluable, no matter who you are, that, that, that God has given you your own set of, of unique passions and talents and abilities. And, and as the body of Christ, the truth is, we need you. We need you. We, we can't be all that God has called us to be and without you. And so we need you. You're invaluable. The, the third thing that we're going to be looking at is the reality that each of you are influential, whether you realize it or not. Every single one of you, God has given influence. There are people, whether you realize it or not, they, they look at you, they look to you, they watch you, they watch the way that you live your life, and you have influence over different individuals. And, and then finally, we're going to talk about how we all need to be invested that, that all of us, it's important. We need to understand that being invested in God's church is important. And we need to understand the reality that this church, it's not just my church. It's not just the, the staff's church or the leadership team's church. This is all of our church. And, and the Bible, again, it, it kind of compares us to a body. And in order for a body to function properly, God, has, God uses us all to be invested. Each of the body parts have to be invested in the body. And, and so it requires all of us to be fully invested. And, and so that's where we're going to be going over the next several weeks. This morning, we want to kind of hone in on that first idea, and that is that regardless of who you are, and this is really good news. They, you know, they call the, the gospel good news for a reason, But regardless of who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you have been invited to be a part of God's family. That's that's a lot better news than some of you are looking like it is. I mean, this is really good news that you've been invited to be a part of God's family. And I I think, you know, one of the worst feelings in the world is to, to feel uninvited. I mean, that's a horrible feeling. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but that feeling of being left out. I was thinking about that this past week, and my mind immediately went back to when I was in third grade, and and I had this experience that many of you might identify with, but I was in third grade. We had just moved to Kearney, uh, Nebraska, right up the road a couple of hours, and I was a new kid in school. Nobody knew me, and I was kind of shy, and and one of the first days of school, we had PE class. And uh, in this P class, it was football day. And so they did what they used to do back then. I don't know if they do this anymore, but many of you are familiar with this. You know, they would pick two kids to be captains. And they would have them choose a number between 1 and 10 to see who got to pick first. And then they would line the rest of us up. 
and they would start picking teams. And, and, you know, these guys, uh, I, was, they were there, I was new, they're, they're all picking their buddies, and uh, one by one, nobody, you know, nobody wants the new kid. And, and, of course, they didn't know at the time what a stud athlete I was. <laughs> Standing, you know, four foot three and, and 105 pounds, and, I mean, I was ready to play football. Um, but they didn't know that. But it was a terrible feeling to see everybody being picked, and I'm standing there, and they don't want me. And finally, you know, it got down to like just me and this really little girl. They called her Mouse. And, um, and I'm like, man, if I don't get picked ahead of Mouse, this is going to be a tough year. Fortunately, I did, which it really didn't matter to her because she thought sports was dumb anyway. But, but for, for third grade me, being chosen or not being chosen in this case was a really big deal. To be uninvited to something, it, it stinks, you know? I, I don't know if you've ever experienced where you're like on social media and like everybody's been invited to this place and everybody's at this place except for you. And, and it stinks to be uninvited. And as hurtful as that is to, to be uninvited to a party or to be uninvited or picked in third grade football, as, as hard as that is, the real tragedy is the reality that that feeling of not being chosen or not being uninvited or welcomed sometimes actually happens in places like this. It happens in the church. Years ago, I, I remember hearing a story about this pastor who pastored a really small church and you know it pretty much consisted of a dozen families or so who had been a part of the church forever and nobody new ever came mostly because they never invited anybody new but but they kind of had this philosophy you know of us four and no more we kind of like the way that it is this is our party and anybody that comes that's new is going to ruin our thing and so we're not really into that but, but this pastor, has, he was young, and he was trying to cast this vision of basically, you know, basically, how about, how about we just be like Jesus? How about we try that and just love people and reach out to people and care for people? And, and so this pastor and his wife, they, he not only was teaching that, they were trying to model that and live it out personally in their own life. And so... They had been out in the community, and they had been meeting people, and they had been reaching out to people and loving on people, and they, they met this one single mom who, who was really struggling, and she had no spiritual background. She had no church experience, and they were just trying to, to love her and minister to her and meet her where she's at and just build relationship with her, and, and, and so after a while, they eventually invited her to come to church. Which again, for her, it was like this, a totally foreign thing. Some of you may understand that. Maybe, you know, for the first time walking into the church, it can be a scary experience. You know, what are they going to do in there? I've seen on TV, like, are they going to pull out the snakes and start doing that there? What's going to happen? And so it was a totally foreign experience, very intimidating. But, but one Sunday, she, she musters up the courage to come. And so she pulls into the parking lot, and right away, you know, just even a new car draws the attention of the people who go there because, like, that's a new car, and we don't ever have new cars because new cars are new people, and we don't have new people. And, and, and so um, she, she, she drew attention, and, and, and she gets out of the car, and she begins to walk the long, kind of like we've got a long sidewalk up to the front doors. 
And, and people stare at her. Nobody says good morning or welcome or anything like that. She gets lots of looks. And she gets to the front door, and there were two uh, church ladies there who were operating as greeters. And, of course, you know, they're dressed to the nines. It's church day. And so they've got on their Sunday best. Their hair's all did. Their makeup's on. Not too much because they're super holy. But they look at her, you know, and she's got on shorts that are kind of short. And she's got on a top that's a little bit tight. And so they actually step in front of her and block her entrance to the door. This is a true story. And, and they, they're like, you know, is that the best that you have to wear? I mean, at this church, we put on our Sunday best, and we come appropriate, and what you've got on is inappropriate, and so you need to turn around, you need to go home, put on something appropriate, and once you have something appropriate on, then you can come back. To which, of course, she never did. She was embarrassed, and she was ashamed, and so she got in her car, and she drove away, never to be seen again. Because the message that had been communicated to her was very clear that when it comes to this church, people like you are not invited here with people like us. And I think one of the saddest parts of this story, and the whole story is sad, but one of the saddest parts of this story is that the very people who claim to know and follow Jesus we're completely out of touch with the heart of Jesus. Listen, if you're here this morning, if you're joining us online and you've ever felt ashamed or unworthy or unwanted or uninvited by anybody, I want you to hear one of the greatest truths about Jesus. And that is that Jesus always invites the people that others reject. That's good news. Jesus always invites the people that everybody else has rejected. And so if you've ever felt unloved or unwanted or, or just like you're not good enough, which come on, the truth is all of us have felt that way at some point in time in our life or another. Here's the good news. You have been invited to be a part of the family of God. Yeah. Because Jesus invites the people that others reject. That is who he is. <laughs> that is who you are, Jesus. A great illustration of this is found in Luke chapter 7. At the very end of this chapter, if you've got your Bibles, you can go there. But before we jump into it, I just want to give a, a little context here. You know, when Jesus kind of burst onto the scene... One of the bold claims that he made was he actually had the audacity to say that he was the son of God. And so people were trying to figure out, you know, is this really true? Is he really who he claims to be? Should we believe him or is he just some crazy dude? You know, he's just delusional. And they're trying to figure this out. But in their minds, one thing they thought they knew for certain was that if he really was the son of God... Pretty much everybody thought that if he really is God in the flesh, then the kind of people he certainly would be attracted to would be the holy people. I mean, the people who have it all together. 
You know, the, the, the people who, who, who uh, they, they look good on the outside and they, they, they wear the right clothes and they, they do the right things, that's cer- certainly who God would be attracted to. And there were no people that represented that better than a group of people called the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were considered the most outwardly holy people who ever lived. They were the best of the best. I mean, these were the educated and the, 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 the wealthy. They, they wore the right clothes. They, they prayed these beautiful, sometimes really long, eloquent prayers. They, they had pretty much all of the Jewish scriptures memorized by heart. They could, could quote it word and verse. They, they were incredibly impressive spiritually. They wore these long flowing robes with these beautiful tassels. And they were, they were oh so holy. That in fact they were so holy that they would never ever ever even think about being around or associating with anybody who wasn't as holy as they were. In fact, they totally avoided anyone who they would have considered impure or unclean or sinful. And and so the people all thought, you know, if God is going to come for anybody, surely it would be people like the Pharisees. Well, in Luke chapter 7, we're told that this one Pharisee, a guy by the name of Simon, decides to throw this party at his house. And Pharisee parties, everybody wanted to go to Pharisee parties because, come on, there ain't no party like a Pharisee party because a Pharisee party won't. Two of you know that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Pharisee parties were like off the chain. I mean, Pharisee parties were where it was at. And the thing about Pharisee parties were that, um, you know, they were kind of like, if, if you got invited, you knew that you were part of the who's who. Because only the most important Pharisees were invited to a Pharisee party. If you got invited to a Pharisee party, then that meant you were somebody. And and, and so they would throw these dinner parties, usually kind of like in the backyard area, in, in what was called the outer court area. And, and they would, uh, when they would come in, it would be like this big show. You know, they would take and they would be seated from the head of the table to the foot of the table by level of importance. You know, the most important would be seated here and then so on down the row. And so there was no mistake, even amongst themselves, who was the most important of the important. And, and they would recline around these tables. Of course, the tables in that culture were low, and so they would kind of recline with their feet out. And they, they would sit and they would recline at these tables, and they would have these deep, impressive discussions, you know, centered around religion and politics and the state of the world. And, and the common people that was outside in the backyard, in a courtyard, and the common people would gather around. There was usually like an exterior wall, and they would gather around the wall, and they would listen to the Pharisees talk about all of these important things. It was a, it was a show that was geared to, to show off how smart these guys were, how good and righteous these Pharisees were. And you may be here this morning and wondering, you know, why would anybody ever show up to listen to that? And, and you got to remember, I mean, this was before they had no Netflix or video games or social media or anything like this. So this was like free entertainment. And so the people would gather around and they would, they would listen. And on this particular day, there was this new teacher who had come to town. 
And so he gets invited to Simon's party. But in the middle of the party, Luke tells us that suddenly somebody else shows up who was not invited, who never would have been invited to a party like this or anything else for that matter. In fact, let's just pick the story up in Luke chapter 7, and we'll jump in at verse 37. It says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Now, we're going to stop right there for just a moment. This is code language or a nice way of saying that she was a prostitute. And so this prostitute learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with a jar, an alabaster jar of perfume. Again, let's just pause right here for a moment. I want you to try and imagine this scene in your mind. Here are these very religious Pharisees. They're having this, you know, this deeply religious discussion, trying to impress everybody who's listening. And all of a sudden, a hooker shows up. That's what happens here. And immediately, all of the Pharisees are like, Man, how in the world did she get in here? They're they're put off. They're disturbed. I mean, how dare a sinful woman like that enter into our presence? I mean, she's a sinner. She's one of those people. And we're Pharisees. We're holy, and we don't hang around with those people. They, they, They made it very obvious that this was a place that this woman was not invited to. Let's just shift gears a little bit. And and if you can, now try and put yourself in the position of this broken, hurt woman. I mean, just try and imagine what life would have been like for her. In fact, if I can, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here in thinking about this woman's life because Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about her. And so I can't prove any of this. But I would be willing to bet my life on the fact that even though this woman undoubtedly had made some poor decisions in her life, I would just be willing to bet that her life's goal was probably not to become a prostitute. I would bet my life on that. I mean, I would think that, you know, when she's a little girl, you know, and she's playing with her little girlfriends in the backyard, and you know how little girls do, they're kind of dreaming about their future, and one little girl says, oh, when I grow up, you know, I want to be like Esther, I want to be a queen, and I want to live in a palace, and I want to be like Esther, and all the little girls giggle like they do. And another little girl says, you know, when I grow up, I want to be like Rachel, and I want to marry a man like Jacob who loves God, and I want to have a bunch of sons, and I want, to, I want them to grow, and I want them to lead Israel and make me proud, and again, they all giggle. And this little girl looks at her friends, and she's like, you know what, I know exactly what I want to be when I grow up. I mean, I put a lot of thought in this. Uh, when I grow up, I want to be a hooker. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to have my own pimp who will control me and abuse me my entire life. I want to be used and taken advantage of by men. I want every time I go out in public for regular people to reject me and give me dirty looks and look down their noses at me and turn and go the other way. I mean, that is my dream right there. I'm betting she never said that. And so if if where she was in life wasn't where she dreamed she would be in life, then how in the world did she ever wind up there? Again, the Bible doesn't really tell us. 
However, based on what we know about this period of history and what we know about the culture, there are some possible explanations. I mean, first of all, it's highly likely that like most young girls, she probably married at a very early age, probably somewhere around the age of of 14 or 15, she married a man who was much older than she was. And, And maybe after a few years, for whatever reason, her husband just got tired of her. And so he issued a certificate of divorce. You see, in that culture, uh, pretty much everything was geared towards the men. And so according to Jewish law, a husband could issue a certificate of a divorce pretty much for any reason. You know, if she displeased him in any way, if she didn't, you know, clean the house good enough or she burnt the toast or whatever, if she displeased him, then he could issue a certificate of divorce. And in those days, a divorced woman wouldn't get, you know, like alimony or a share of the property or anything like that. The, the only financial support she could hope for is if, if some male family member would agree to take care of her. And for women who didn't have that, really the options were pretty limited. It was either uh, servitude or prostitution. Another possibility is that maybe she grew up in a home where her father was abusive. Maybe in his twisted mind, he abused her himself, and then he allowed other men to do the same for money. And maybe this was a lifestyle that she was just kind of thrown into at an early age. And and even though it wasn't her fault, she carried this guilt and shame, and, and it completely impacted her identity. And so she never really had a chance. Or, or it's possible that as a young teenager, maybe she lost both of her parents. In those days, lifespans were much shorter. And so maybe as a young teenager, suddenly she was left with the responsibility of not only caring for herself, but maybe she had younger siblings who were, were hungry and who needed to be taken care of. And, and so, uh, again, as a woman, her options would be limited. And so maybe out of desperation... Just trying to feed herself and care for her siblings. Maybe she was forced to make money through a lifestyle that she despised and hated. I don't know. But what I do know is this. That ultimately, she found herself in a position that she probably never, ever imagined that she would be in. One where every day men abused her and used her and women looked down on her. And and what I do know is this, is that this woman would have felt ashamed. She would have felt unloved. She would have felt unwelcome. She never would have felt invited, at least not to any place safe or anywhere that mattered. In fact, she probably felt like a lot of us have felt at some point in time in our lives. Not, not good enough. Ashamed for the choices that we've made, the things that we've done, the places that we've been. Wondering how in the world did I ever wind up here? Which is a feeling that some of us understand all too well. How in the world did I ever get here? How how in the world did I I ever get, I never dreamed that I would wind up divorced. 
I never dreamed that I would be addicted. I never dreamed that I would be unemployed. I never dreamed that I would be alienated from one of my kids. In my wildest dreams, I never imagined I would be here, wherever here is. More than likely, that's how this woman felt. And so it's amazing what she does, knowing that she's uninvited by everyone. She walks right into the Pharisees' party, and she makes a beeline for Jesus. And she falls at his feet, and in a posture of worship, we're told that she breaks open this jar of perfume, and she begins to pour it out on Jesus' feet. And what she does here is so significant for a couple of different reasons. First of all, because this more than likely was the most valuable possession that she owned. In fact, Scripture tells us that this jar of perfume was worth about a year's wages. And so in many ways, this perfume represented her security. It represented her future. And not only that, this perfume also represented her ability to provide for herself. In those days, because perfume was so expensive, just normal women couldn't afford perfume. And so this was kind of like a calling card for her profession. It was an advertisement. You know, if, you, if you're wearing perfume, it was like a calling card denouncing, I'm here, I'm available. And so what she does here is so significant because in this one single glorious act, this woman simultaneously worships Jesus, but at the same time, she symbolically repented of her old lifestyle. It was like she was saying to Jesus, Jesus, I'm giving to you all that I am. Here is my most valuable possession, which it represents not only who I've been, but it also represents my future. It's the best that I have. It's all that I have. And in this moment, I am giving it all to you, Jesus. I'm surrendering it all to you. Verse 38 says that as she stood behind Jesus, and so again, Jesus is reclined at the table. His head would be up at the table and reclined. His feet are back here. And she's down here at Jesus' feet. She's weeping, and she begins to wet his feet with her tears. And then it says that she wiped his feet with her hair, and she kissed them, and she poured this perfume out on them. And, and so here she is. She's just totally overcome with emotion. She, she's weeping, and she looks around, and, and there's, there's like there's no towel here. And so she does the best that she knows to do. She lets her hair down, and she begins to wipe her tears off Jesus' feet with her own hair. Now, now this not only is significant, but in this culture, this would have been incredibly scandalous. You see, in those days, it was completely inappropriate for a Jewish woman to unbind her hair. In, in public, she was not allowed to do that. In fact, Jewish rabbis considered a woman loosening her hair the same as public nudity. And, and so in those days, a, a good Jewish woman never ever would have let down her hair in public. But this woman, in this moment, she is so overcome with emotion. She, she's so caught up 
in worshiping Jesus. It, it makes me think of the time when David was leading the procession and they're coming into the city and they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. And he begins to dance in his robe and, 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 and his wife looks out and sees him and says, you know, it's totally inappropriate for a king. And he said, man, I'll, I'll become way more undignified than this when it comes to the king. In that moment, nothing mattered but Jesus, worshiping Jesus. And suddenly, as she's worshiping, she realizes, oh my goodness, I've just cried all over his feet. And so she does the only thing she knows to do. She takes her hair down, and she just uses her hair to wipe his feet. Because she's so overwhelmed by her love and her adoration and her worship for the Son of God. In verse 39, it says that when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, now I want you to watch this. It says, he said to himself. He didn't say it out loud. He just thinks it in his mind. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. That He would know that she is a sinner. In other words, what Simon thinks is the fact that Jesus is allowing himself to come in contact with this sinful woman, this prostitute. He's allowing her to touch him. He's not shunning her. Then that proves that he is not God because God would never do that. But Jesus, and I love this. Because he is God. Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. And so it says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. He knew his thoughts. He, he, he turned, jump down to verse 44. It says, he turned to the woman. And he said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me water for my feet. It was customary in those days. So just as an act of courtesy and hospitality, as people were walking these dusty roads with their sandals on, that they would be provided water to wash their feet. He says, you didn't do that for me. But she wet her feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. Again, it was customary. That was like a high five or a fist bump or a handshake to give a welcoming kiss. He said, you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. He said, you didn't give me oil for my head, which again was an, an honor to the guest. He said, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, her many sins. Jesus acknowledged she had many sins. He said, therefore, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, he wanted her to know, your sins are forgiven. I think the big question that this story raises is this. Why would this woman be willing to risk so much just to be at the feet of Jesus? I mean, think about it. You know, when she heard, heard that Jesus was, was at this party, why was she willing to subject herself to the criticism of the Pharisees that she knew was going to come? I mean, she had experienced it her whole life. 
Why was she willing to walk through the crowd on her way to get to Jesus? And, and as she did, undoubtedly, she walked before many men who had probably been clients of hers. Why would she put herself in that position knowing that the crowd of people that were gathered around there and they were watching all of this played out, that when they saw her, they would have begun to whisper about her, you know, there she is. You know what she does. Don't go near her. Stay away from her. Keep, her, keep your kids away from her. We all know what kind of woman she is. She's one of those people. Why would she be willing to subject herself to that kind of humiliation? Again, the text doesn't address that, but but, but can I tell you what I think? Even if you say no, I'm going to anyway. So I'm convinced that somewhere, some way, she had witnessed the unconditional love, the, the unfathomable mercy, the indescribable grace of Jesus. Maybe, maybe earlier that day she had seen him reach out and touch a leper. Maybe she had seen him heal the eyes of a blind beggar. Maybe she had seen him cast out a demon from somebody. All of which would have been considered those people like her. Untouchable, unlovable, considered less than. I'm guessing that probably earlier that day she heard him teach. I mean, why else was there such urgency to get in front of Jesus? And if it was that day, what message would she have heard? Well, Luke tells us that earlier that same day, there are some disciples that come to Jesus, and they, they come to question Jesus. And, and in response to these disciples, Jesus begins to teach the crowd that is gathered around and listening. And, and Matthew tells a parallel story to this. He gives us a little bit more detail. But he says that at the end of Jesus' teaching, that Jesus says these incredible, powerful words. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, and learn from me because I am gentle and humble. I'm not like all of these other religious people who look down on you and slam you and hate you and talk about you and keep you at arm's length. I am gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find in me rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. The Pharisees were known. They were putting these heavy yokes on the people, one that nobody could bear. And Jesus said, my yoke, it's easy, and my burden is light. You see, I just can't help believe that it's highly possible that this woman was in that crowd. And maybe in that moment when Jesus spoke those words, come to me, maybe he looked her right in the eye that their eyes met, and he said, come to me. In other words, you're invited. I'm not leaving you out. You're invited. The one that nobody else invites, I'm inviting you to come to me. Those of you who are racked with guilt and, 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 and shame and you're overcome, come to me. Though those of you who are, are burdened and you've been rejected and, and again and again and again by people, 
come to me. Those of you who religion has turned you off and turned you away, Jesus says, come to me. Those who you didn't have the right clothes to wear. Those who somebody who supposedly represented the love of God told you that you weren't invited or welcome. I want you to know that you're wrong, they were wrong because I'm inviting you. I'm saying, come to me. Come to me when you feel like you got nothing left. Come to me when you've lost all hope. Come to me when everything in you feels desperate and doesn't know if you can go on. Jesus says, come to me when you're weary and you're tired and you're overwhelmed. And my promise is I'll give you rest. You're invited. You're invited into my family, he says. I want you to notice a couple things about this story that is really important. And those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to understand these things. But, but first of all, we need to understand that shaming this woman's lifestyle didn't change her lifestyle. Shaming her didn't have the power to change her. Shaming her for what she'd done didn't set her free from her painful past. And in the same way, pointing out her sin didn't have the power to free her from her sin. No. So so what did change her and free her? Please don't miss this. What changed her was simply an invitation to be loved by God. That's what had the power to change her. What changed her was an invitation to personally experience his grace and his goodness and his mercy and his freedom. Jesus invited her. Did you notice who he didn't invite? Jesus' invitation wasn't for those who thought they had it all together. It wasn't for the self-proclaimed righteous because in their minds they didn't need Jesus anyway. So they they wouldn't have accepted his invitation anyway. You see, Jesus' invitation was and is And always will be for anyone who has come to recognize their own desperate need for him. A couple of chapters earlier in Mark chapter 5, Jesus said, you need to understand, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. The, The people that Jesus came for aren't the ones who think that they've got it all together. He came for the hurting and the broken and the repentant. And so his words that he spoke to her and and the words that he spoke in that crowd are the same words that he speaks today. He, He says, come to me. Come to me if you feel ashamed. Come to me if you feel unworthy. Come to me with your doubts. Come to me with your addictions. Come to me with your hurts and your hangups and your habits. Come to me with your baggage from the past. Come to me with your disappointments. Come to me when you've lost all hope. Come when you're wrecked. Come when you're full of guilt. Come when you're full of shame. Come when you're embarrassed of how life has turned out. Come when you feel like you're less than. Come when you feel like you're a misfit. Come because at the foot of the cross, everybody's equal. Jesus says, come. Come when you're exhausted. Come when life just seems like it's too much to bear. And Jesus says, if you'll come, I will give you rest. 
I told you earlier about that lady that was turned away from the church because of her clothes. And the, the moment that I heard that, immediately I made the decision that if God ever gave me the opportunity to lead a church, that when it comes to things like the dress code, we were just going to make it simple. I mean, please do wear something. Hopefully I didn't need to clarify that. But. Please, please do wear something. But listen to me. Jesus' invitation is simply come as you are. Come where you're at. Come with every kind of hang up. Come with every kind of doubt. Come with insecurity. Just come to Jesus as you are because you're invited. And listen, for those of you who have accepted Jesus' invitation... You need to understand that the invitation is not just for you to come, but it's for you to invite others to come with you. If you want to be like Jesus, this is a novel idea. If you want to be like Jesus, act like Jesus. Just, just act like Jesus. Invite others to come. Invite others to experience what you've experienced. Invite others to experience his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his love and his forgiveness. And by all means, don't come alone. Keep on coming to Jesus, but every time you come, bring somebody with you. Let them experience what you've experienced. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells another story about another party. This one is a wedding banquet. Jesus, I love, you know, the thing I love about Jesus was he was all about parties. You know, because the thing about a Jesus party is that um, there ain't nothing like a Jesus party because a Jesus party don't. I got four now. We're just going to keep doing it until y'all get it. No, but, but Jesus was all about parties. So many of his stories were about parties. And, and Jesus says in Luke chapter 14 that there was this, this guy who throws a wedding party and he invites a bunch of people to come, but everybody had excuses as to why they couldn't come. One guy's like, you know, I just got married. And you know, my wife, she doesn't like parties. So I can't come. And another guy was like, you know, I just bought a new piece of property. I can't come. I got to take care of my property. And another guy was like, I just got a new ox. I got I to gotta test this ox out. In today's world, it would be, you know, I'd love to come, but I'm just so busy. I'd love to come, but I'm just so tired. I'd come, but, you know, the big game was last night, and I had to go to the big game, and I'm just so tired to come. I, I'd love to come, but, um, you know, I, I just got a new car, and so now i got to work on Sundays to pay for the new car. I, I'd love to come, but Sunday's the only time that I get to play golf, and can't come. I'd love to come, but, you know, Sunday's the only time I get to spend with my family, and it never occurred to me that I could bring my family to church with me, but, you know, I'd love to come. But I can't come. And so Jesus said they all made these excuses. You know, we don't have the time. We've just got so many important things to do. We're just really not that interested. So you know what Jesus said? He said, listen, if they're not interested, go out and compel them to come. This is for us. 
who have chosen to come, to accept the invitation. He says, go out and compel them to come. Show them. Describe the party. Tell them what I'm like. You know, describe my love for them. Help them to see what this invitation is all about. Help them to understand how it can change their lives. Tell them about how it's changed your life. Tell them how the invitation, it's not just to, to sit in a pew and be bored. It's an invitation to actually be a part of my kingdom, a part of what I'm doing in the world, a part of my family. And then let me tell you what he said. He said, of all of the people that everyone expects would show up for my party, if they don't really care about the party, he said, go out and invite the blind and the lame, and the cripple. Now understand this. What Jesus was dealing with here is that in his day, if you were blind or lame or cripple, the people really believed that you had done something to be that way. So in other words, you must be a really bad sinner for God to punish you by making you blind, lame, and crippled. And so what Jesus is saying here is that all of those folks, those people, which, by the way, I am one of those people. It's only by the grace of God. It's only by his mercy and his grace that I can even stand here and share this with you. And, and Jesus says that, that go out to all of those people, everyone who has been rejected, and let them know that there's still room, that they're invited to my party, the, the people that everyone despises and rejects and overlooks and looks down upon, Jesus says, you go out and you compel them to come into my kingdom because there's room. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how unworthy you feel. Jesus said, come to me. You are invited into my family. And can I tell you this morning, his invitation has not changed. He's still saying, come to me. You're invited. So I want you to bow your heads and just close your eyes this morning. And maybe you walked into this place feeling much like the woman in this story. Unloved, unworthy, ashamed, left out, left behind. The reason you're here this morning is because Jesus wants you to know that he sees you and he loves you. And though your sins may be many, and all of us, that's true for all of us. All of our sins were many. He says his invitation to you is still come. Come to me. Experience my love and my grace and my mercy and my forgiveness. And so this morning, I just want to invite you to accept the invitation that has been given. For, for some of you here this morning, you accepted that, but... All of that stuff, the enemy is kind of thrown in again, all the guilt and shame and all that stuff. And I want to remind you of the invitation that you have been given. That Jesus' love is greater. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. 
And so this morning, I just want to invite you in the quietness of your own heart. If you want to receive that invitation or you want to re, uh, uh, affirm that invitation to just pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I receive, I accept your invitation into your family. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that I don't have to be perfect, that you accept me as I am, and it's you and your presence in your life that's going to change me, that's going to help me. And so I receive you today into my life. And I just want to love you and be loved by you. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I receive your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.